Well, good evening. We're glad you tuned in to the broadcast tonight from Whitfield Baptist Church. I'm Pastor Wayne Cofill, and I'm so excited about having Dr. Dan Reed preach for us uh, this night on revival. This is a recording of his revival in 2018 at our church. And last year in October, God called Dr. Dan Reed home, but he, he still lives on in his messages and his, and his family and, and all the people that he's touched. So I hope that you'll enjoy this message tonight on revival from Dr. Dan Reed. Well, it's preaching time. We're gonna give it to him early tonight. And I appreciate Brother Dan Reed. He pastored at Harvest Baptist Church in Atworth for 22 years and several other places before that. But I tell you what I love about uh, Brother Dan, he's a man of prayer and he is a man that loves God and loves God's people. And you can tell it. And uh, I appreciate that he wants to preach uh, until God carries him home. Amen. And we hope it's by the rapture. Amen. But uh, thank the Lord, Brother Dan Reed. You pray for him as he preaches and listen and, and take notes and just, just soak it up and listen. If God tells you to come to this altar at the altar call, obey him. Amen. And let's have revival. Let's don't let pride get in the way. Amen. Brother Dan, you come preach. Thank you, my brother. Amen. I'm glad to be back with you, and I'm glad you're here on a Monday night. I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter number 17. And I would like to preach until the Lord takes me home, Lord willing. One of my heroes is George Whitfield. Whitfield traveled here 13 different times across the dangerous Atlantic to preach. And he was quite an amazing man. He preached right up till the time that he died. In fact, right before he died, the last message that he preached, he made this statement and somebody recorded it. He said, Lord Jesus, I'm weary in thy work, but I'm not weary of thy work. If I have not finished my course, let me go and speak for thee one more time in the fields and seal the truth and then let me go home and die. And that's exactly what he did. He preached one more time. He went home and died. Now, I'm not saying this is my last time. <laughs> I hope I'm able to preach a little bit more. But I appreciate the invitation so very much. My wife wasn't able to be here tonight. She's... She works a job and has to be there pretty early, and so she wasn't able to come back tonight. But I appreciate the two fellows that brought me, Brother Mark Greer, and I think most of you know Mark Greer, and uh, Brother Larry miss you, and Brother Larry and I share a couple of grandchildren. His second, second son married my second daughter, and um, two of my daughters have married Deacon's kids. I don't understand that, but they did. <laughs> And, uh, but I appreciate them bringing, bringing me tonight. Some of you mentioned the book of Proverbs. I only had one more, and I, my wife loaded the books when we got home last night, and I, I think there's some more there. I'll try to bring them back tomorrow night if you'd like to have one of the book of, books of Proverbs. I sure enjoyed my day yesterday. I'm telling you, sweet spirit here, and I believe the Lord was moving in a wonderful, wonderful way. I enjoyed the Enjoyed the choir. I was hoping the choir was going to sing again tonight. I mean, that was just excellent, excellent last night. I heard about a fellow who uh, the uh, pastor went to him. He, he 
he didn't make good music. And he, he asked him, he said, uh, you know, I, I need to put you as an usher. He said, get you out of the choir. He said, preacher, he said, you know, I, that's the way preachers do, you know. They just transfer you around. They want you out of something. And uh, so he said, I want to put you as an usher. He said, I've got some people complaining that you need to come out of the choir. He said, oh, preacher, he said, I love singing in the choir. Please don't take me out of the choir. Preacher kept at him, and he said, well, listen, let me just be candid. Two or three folks have come to me and said they'd like for you to get out of the choir. You're hurting the choir. He said, well, preacher, that really shouldn't make a difference. He said, you know, about 10 or 12 people come to me and said you can't preach. And uh, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't tried to get you out. <laughs> so... so uh, all of us have had a few people in the choir we might would have wanted, wanted to get out. But I love to hear people sing. I, can't, I don't care if they can sing on note or not. I, old Gypsy Smith said one time, the great old preacher that, that helped John Rice so much, he, he said, to Preacher, why don't you sing from your diaphragm? He said, I don't want to sing from my diaphragm. I want to sing from my heart. And uh, that's the best kind of singing that there is. 1 Kings chapter number 17. I want you to read with me one verse and then we'll look over in some other verses. We're preaching on revival this week. And we all know how much we need revival. How much America needs revival. How much our churches need revival. 1 Kings chapter 17, I read just one verse out of 1 Kings 17 in verse number 1. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And you know the story, there wasn't rain for three and a half years. Then look over to chapter 18 and verse number 1. And it came to pass after many days, actually it was three and a half years, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And then look at chapter 18 beginning in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Get thee up. Eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time, that he said, Lord, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. If you look back to verse number 41, 
It says, and Elijah said to Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink, for there's the sound of abundance of rain. And if you like to underline in your Bible, underline that little phrase, there's the sound of the abundance of rain. Our Heavenly Father, I pray, dear Lord, that you'd speak to hearts tonight. And may the sweet influence of the Holy Spirit speak to us and help us. And help us to be obedient to what you would say to us. Convict us where we're wrong. Where we don't meet the standard, dear Lord, that you've set for us. Help us, we pray. Help us to be obedient. And we'll thank you for it. In your name we ask it. Amen Amen. and amen. There had been a drought in the land of Israel, three and a half years. Not one drop of rain had come. You can imagine what would happen to a land if it didn't have rain for three and a half years. In a day when there was no irrigation, when there was no way of making sure that water got to the crops and water got to the, to the herds and the cattle and so forth, you could imagine what would happen during three and a half years. The crops, there would be no crops, of course, and the, the animals themselves would begin to die. The sheep and the domesticated, non-domesticated animals and the smell from them would be horrible after all those years. Probably the only way Israel got water was to have it shipped in from Syria, brought in so that they could have drinking water even. It was a desperate time. But God had told his prophet Elijah, by the way, the reason it came was because of the sin of the land. God was punishing Israel and showing Ahab what a great God he was and how he could, he could, uh, he could uh, destroy them if he needed to destroy them. But God had told his prophet Elijah, I'm going to send rain. And long before the dark clouds ever appeared, Elijah said, There's the sound of the abundance of rain. Elijah's servant, he was told to go up from Mount Carmel to go look for rain. He went seven different times before he ever saw a cloud. Rain in the Bible is a type or a picture of God's blessing. It's a type of revival. Because you have to have rain for anything for life to take root and to be able to to bring forth fruit. There has to be rain. Rain is a type or a picture of God's blessing and revival. Psalm 72, verse 6, He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. Hosea 11, verse 12 says, Sow to yourself in righteousness and reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. I can plant the seed. I can till the soil. But the harvest waits for the rain. The seed will die in the soil or it will never bring forth fruit unless rain comes. Revival, somebody said, depends on the sovereign purpose of God. Much like the rain. It comes when God's ready for it. I can't can't decide when the rain's going to come. All I can do is plant the harvest. All I can do is plant the seed. All I can do is cultivate. 
The rain depends on the sovereign purpose of God. And so it is in revival. Revival depends. God does what he desires to do. And God does it when he wants to do it. Our job is to set the sail. Our job is to obey the laws of the harvest and to do what we can and to get ready. But when God gets ready to send it, God will send the rain. God had a purpose in withholding that rain for three and a half years. And when he was ready to give rain and begin blessing the soil again, he told his prophet. And Elijah said to old King Ahab, there's the sound of the abundance of rain. What did Elijah hear? What did he hear? Did he hear thunder? That would be the natural assumption that Elijah probably heard thunder, but that's not what it was. He didn't hear thunder. In fact, when the servant went out seven different times, he didn't even see a cloud from the top of Carmel. (coughs) He didn't even see a cloud for seven different times until finally there was a little cloud about the size of a man's hand. No, it wasn't thunder he heard. Elijah heard the voice of God. God told him, the rain is coming, you see. I know it's coming. He said to the servant, he said, go look, go look, go look. He came back seven different times. But Elijah, having heard from God, said, keep going back, keep going back, keep going back. And finally, he came back, and I see a little cloud, he said, about the size of a man's hand in the distance. Now, I want to use that tonight to show you that there are certain signs that God gives when he's about to send the rain. There are certain things that people of faith can discern when God's about to do something special in a church or God's about to do something special in a community. There are certain things that begin to happen as a signal to that, as a sound of the abundance of rain. I want to give you six or seven of them. Number one, when a church gets dissatisfied with the present state of things and desires more, or when an individual gets dissatisfied with his present state and he desires more from God, that's a good sign that God wants to send the rain. It's the first sound of the abundance of rain when there's a holy dissatisfaction with our own state of being in God's house and in God's work. David said at one time, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longs for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory in the sanctuary. (coughs) He said again, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. And when God's about to do something, he puts desire into the hearts of the people. We're no longer satisfied with just Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. We desire to see God do something in our midst, you see. He puts desire there. Do you know that God works through our desires? Whatever things you desire when you pray, believe it, you'll receive them and you'll have them. 
He works in our desires. So when our desires are stirred up, one old revivalist said, I never had a revival in my ministry without laboring for it and expecting it and anticipating it. Isn't that basically the way a soul is saved? When, I mean, when God stirs somebody up and begins to, to make them uneasy with their condition, then he's, by the way, until he's uneasy with the way he is, he's nowhere near salvation. But when he begins to get uneasy, when he's not satisfied, when he knows he's distant from God and he's not in touch with God, that's when he's about to be stirred up uh, to salvation. John 6, says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And God begins to draw when we get dissatisfied with our state. And so if God begins to create dissatisfaction with your own spiritual state and with that of the church, that's evidence He desires to send rain to the church. Whatever things you desire, watch your desires. Watch your desires. You know, Brother Wayne, I've wondered sometimes, what is it that makes the difference between a good Christian and a mediocre Christian? And I've pondered that passage so many times in Matthew 13, where Jesus talks about the soils and how they bring forth the seed. And He says, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Why? They're both said they're all saved. Why some 30, some 60, some 100 fold? It's because of desire. The only way I can make any, any sense out of it is that some people have a deeper desire than other people. They want more of God than the average man. They're, they're more thirsty than the average person. And God blesses it when a man is thirsty. God blesses it when a church is thirsty for God. When, when our desire is stirred up. I want to tell you something. If you have that desire, the desire for more, the devil didn't stir that up in you. The flesh didn't stir that up in you. There's only one place that desire can come from. God has to stir those desires in us. And so when we're dissatisfied with our state, the rain, it's a sign of the rain coming. Again, another sign or indication of a coming revival is distress over the lost. Distress over the lost. It's difficult. It's almost impossible for us to carry a heavy burden all the time. Our flesh just doesn't, it doesn't handle it. We've got to go about our duties. We've got to do other things. But there are times in life when God stirs up a burden for lost people. It'd be a wonderful thing if we could carry it all the time. But our Lord even recognized the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's hard to carry that burden all the time. Emotionally, we have to carry on our lives. But before God sends a revival before large numbers are saved, he usually stirs us up with a heaviness and a great burden for the lost. Amen. Isaiah 66 verse 8, As soon as Zion travailed, 
she brought forth children. Bringing people into the kingdom of God in the Bible is compared to bringing a child into this world. There has to be travail. There has to be birth pangs. There's got to be some agony. Paul said, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. I want to be honest with you. I don't know that I could ever say that. That I'd be willing to go to hell for somebody else. But that's what Paul was saying in that passage. I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. He said again, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Our churches, your church like the churches I pastored, you're aggressive soul winning and you try to reach out and you knock on doors and that's a wonderful thing. We have a lot of professions of faith. And I can't judge them all. We lose a good number. Some go to other churches. But I want to tell you, I hate it when there's a great drought in the church of people being saved. I heard Tom Malone say one time, the great Emmanuel Baptist Church, I went there and heard him preach. Dr. Tom Malone, what a preacher. He said, I'd be willing to say that most of the people in our church, most of them, if we didn't have anybody saved over a period of months, would not shed a tear. As long as I've got my church, as long as we're here, we could care less whether anybody goes to hell or not. I heard Dr. Robertson say something similar that probably only 5% of the people in Highland Park ever really led a soul to Christ or cared. The sad truth is that most people don't ever weep a tear over nobody being saved. And we all ought to catch that burden. It ought to burden us. I'm afraid we're becoming closet Calvinists. We really don't believe it's our part to win them to Christ. Like the old boy told William Carey when he said, we've got to get the gospel to India. He said, if God wants the gospel to go to India, God will get it there. God help us. That's what caused William Carey to go to India. He knew God. Listen, God stirs us up about lost souls. And when we begin to get stirred up about it, God's about to burst some souls into His kingdom. Hebrews 2.10 says, It became Him, that is our Savior, it became Him in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. He had to bring them to glory through His own suffering. And do we think we're going to bring them into the kingdom of God without suffering? Charles Spurgeon said, I have little confidence 
in elaborate speech and polished sentences as the means of reaching men's hearts. But I have great faith in that simple-minded Christian woman who must have souls converted or she'll weep her eyes out over them. And in that humble Christian who prays day and night in secret and then avails himself of every opportunity to address a loving word to sinners, the emotion we feel and the affection we bear are the most powerful implements of soul winning. God, the Holy Ghost, usually breaks hard hearts by tender hearts. And until God breaks our heart about people around us and neighbors and friends and loved ones that are lost and going to hell, there will be no revival. I've often said most people don't care about their soul until somebody else cares about their soul until somebody else is stirred up about the most of people that are lost or not stirred up themselves. When God's about to save folks, He stirs somebody up that will care for them. A mother loves a child before that child's ever brought into the world, for she's travailed over that child for nine months. And before that child ever gets there, She's already greatly in love with that child. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think God wants to put people into churches where people don't love them and care for them. Where there's not some travail for them before they're saved so that they come into a church that loves them and cares for them and takes care of them. Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The sound of abundance of rain is when we get stirred up over souls. Third, we can expect a revival when the prayer meeting improves. When the prayer meeting improves. You know, we really, and I'm not sure about how it is here, But I know most churches, the Wednesday night prayer meeting is not really a prayer meeting. I mean, we pray, but it's kind of the same rote thing. And if you look at the prayer list, years ago in one of my first churches early on, I got concerned about this. About the Wednesday night is the toughest night of the week have services. And we almost have to beef it up a little bit to get anybody there. There's got to be preaching, and I'm all for preaching. And I, But I decided I'm going to call preaching off, and we're not going to do anything but pray. We're just going to come and meet together and maybe sing a chorus, and then we're going to pray. And I watch my crowds go down and down and down. Now, I love preaching, and I think there ought to be preaching in every service, but there's a certain entertainment value to preaching. I mean, we like to be, have some, something put into us. Prayer is work. Real prayer is fervent prayer has some agony in it. And when we have a real prayer meeting, people get fervent about that prayer meeting. And I've seen prayer meetings, and I mentioned it last night, 
where people come in and they're broken over something and the prayer meeting all of a sudden takes on new meaning because somebody's broken. It's when we get broken in prayer and we're desperate in prayer. Have you ever been desperate when you pray? I mean, you had to have something. You were desperate for something. It's those kind of prayer meetings. Remember the prayer meeting in Acts 12? Where they met because Peter and James had been killed by the sword and they arrested Peter and they met in a home to pray. And they prayed fervently, so fervently that Peter got out of jail and showed up at the door. It was an amazing home prayer meeting. That's the power, I think, of cottage prayer meetings. There's something about them where we pray and, and we, 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 we're desperate for God to do something. James says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God sent a deluge of revival on a little island called Lewis off the outer Hebrides, off of Scotland. The man's name that stands out in that revival is Duncan Campbell, but he never wanted to be connected with it. It was an amazing thing. 1949, I believe it was. There were two sisters come to find out who had been praying on that island for several years for God to do something special there. Two sisters, one of them, their, their, their names were Peggy and Christine Smith. Peggy was blind and Christine was crippled with arthritis. Nobody knew them much, but God knew them. And they began to pray. And when they prayed, eventually God sent an amazing revival on that island. And it's been written about and, and uh, so many things have been said about that. By the way, that's not 300 years ago. That's just about 75 years ago when that happened. The day of revivals is not over. It's not over. Charles G. Finney, who had such great revivals in the 1800s, it's, it's not known very much, but he had two men that traveled with him who prayed the whole time. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Matthew 18, 19, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. We can be expecting the rain when the prayer meeting improves. When we long for the prayer times. When we desire to get in and talk to God in a concerted fashion, agreeing together. Fourth of all, and I must hurry, we can expect a revival when there's a thirst for the preached Word of God. When the church is in decline, there's less interest in the preached Word of God. During revivals, multitudes flock to the house of God. They, they can't wait to get there. Amen. Nothing is special is going on. No big day. You don't have to beg people to come. There's no promotions. They want to hear God's word. Amen. They're anxious. They sit. And the same truths are preached. 
By the way, we're not going to, if you've been in church a long time, you're not going to hear any new truth. Spurgeon used to say, if it's new, it isn't true. And if it's true, it isn't new. And that's the truth. You've heard it. It's just reiterated truth. It's just re-preached truth. But in revival times, when God begins to bring revival, we want to hear it more and more. And even old truths take on new meaning. They take on new meaning. We long to hear it. Did you ever notice how that in dry times, you have to push yourself to get to church? Now don't look at me like that. You're like that. I mean, I am too. Sometimes I got to push myself. I got to kick myself to get up and get to church. But not during revival times. Not when God's moving. When God begins to move, you can't wait to get there. Fifth of all, we can expect a revival when Christians get ashamed and contrite over their sins. Things they've lived with that didn't bother them begin to bother them. Zechariah says that. I'll pour water, or I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they pierced. They shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. It's coming a time when the Jews will look on the Lord and mourn because of what they've done. They'll mourn. As the Spirit of God begins to send the rain, the rocks that were down deep begin to come to the surface like they do every winter. During the springtime, they begin to come in our hearts. Pride that disguises itself as judiciousness. Am I making a sound with this? Okay, I'm just hearing things. Pride that disguises itself as judiciousness. It disguises itself sometimes as a proper respect or what I deserve. It becomes ugly to me and repulsive. Words that I say, not ugly words, but just not good words, edifying words, all of a sudden, they just don't fit with me. Things I watch on TV, but during times when God's working specially, there's just things that may not be bad, but they're, I, I, I just, I, they just don't set well with me. You can expect a revival when God's Spirit begins to speak to your heart about the little things that don't usually bother you. The little foxes that spoil the vines. Number six, you can expect a revival when God's people begin to confess to each other and make restitution of things that they've done wrong. James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother hath ought against you, leave your gift. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. It was 1984. I mentioned this last night, 
the greatest church revival that I was ever in. And I mentioned that fellow that drove 20 miles. It was because of some things that happened just before that revival broke out that all that took place. But that revival broke out when a little old girl who was his sister, who had had a vendetta against me because I had had to take some actions against him. In fact, we'd even talked and I'd ask her, if I've done anything wrong to offend you, please forgive me. And this little old teenage girl, very bright girl, she said, preacher, I can't forgive you. She was in our school. And we were having a wonderful meeting and it had come down to Friday morning in chapel time. And she got out of her seat before the preaching ever took place. She got out of her seat and walked to the platform, grabbed my hand, looked me in the eye and said, Preacher, I forgive you. And when she did, People began to get up all over the auditorium. Children, teenagers went to each other and began to apologize. And then they went to teachers. And teachers began to go to students and ask them to forgive them. The preacher never got to preach that morning. We began to give testimonies and broke up and they brought people in on Friday night. And it was a wonderful time of refreshing and revival. I'm going to tell you, it's when people get right with each other that God breaks down barriers. It was back in another meeting where old Dr. Jack Legrand came to preach for me. And Dr. Legrand, this was in Cedartown, he made a statement. He said from the pulpit, he said, when you do what you ought to do, it frees God to do what He wants to do. When you do what you ought to do, it frees God to do what he wants to do. The next day, there was a knock on my door at lunchtime. I was home for lunch. And there was a knock on my door. I'd led a man to Christ, a man who'd lived a wicked life. He'd gotten in our church and gotten busy, gotten baptized, and he and his wife both had gotten saved, and they'd gotten serving the Lord. He was working on a bus route. He knocked on my door. He said, Preacher, he was trembling. He sat down in my living room and he said, I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave the church. I said, Donnie, what do you mean? He said, I've done something terrible. He said, before I was saved, I stole the battery out of one of those buses. Now what do I do about it? God has troubled me. What do I do about it? I said, you just repay the money and confess it. And God forgives you and we forgive you. And He did. By the way, God used Him in a wonderful way and blessed in that meeting. When we do what we ought to do, then it frees God. Do you know what's limiting a lot of churches? We're not being obedient to the Spirit of God. We're not obeying those little things that keep us from others and keep us right with God and keep us right with the people that we love the most. Scripture even says if a husband and wife 
can't get along, their prayers are hindered. Their prayers are hindered. And if that be true, how much are our prayers hindered if we don't get along with each other? Not only that we don't get along with each other, but sometimes there's people out there we've offended. There's people in businesses that we've offended. And one reason they won't come to our churches sometimes is they know somebody in that church. We ought to be right with the people as best as possible, right with the people around us. God will never bring a community-wide revival until we're willing to be right with those around us. The sound of abundance of rain. Acts 24, 16 says, Herein do I exercise myself. Paul did an exercise. I exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense both toward God and toward man. And may God help us to keep good exercises of trying to be right with the people around us and the people that are close to us. The sound of abundance of rain. Let's bow together in prayer, may we? Oftentimes, when some measure of revival comes, when the Spirit of God begins to move amongst us, we quench it by letting up on our prayers and beginning to depend on a speaker. But no speaker can bring revival. We have to be obedient to the Holy Spirit of God day by day and night by night for God to bring it. The sound of abundance of rain. May God bring the rain to our churches again.